0: Welcome to New Life's weekly podcast. New Life is a United Methodist congregation established in 2011 in McChesney Park, Illinois. Worship is weekly at 5.30 p.m. with events ongoing. Check us out online at www.findnewlife.org and sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. I'm your host, Mark Myers, pastor of New Life, as well as our sister congregation, Sherland United Methodist Church, and our cooperative on-site mission, The Paper Angel Closet. This week's sermon preached October 1st and 2nd, 2016, is part of our Half-Truth series. Sermon title, Love the Sinner, Hate the Sin, Scripture Matthew 7, 1 through 5 Hear these words from the Gospel according to Matthew. Don't judge so that you won't be judged. You'll receive the same judgment you give. Whatever you deal out will be dealt to you. Why do you see the splinter in your brother's or sister's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the splinter out of your eye when there's a log in your eye? You deceive yourself. First, take the log out of your eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother or sister's eye. May God bless the reading of Scripture this week. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for all those listening to your word and good news through our podcast this week. Please bless them, encourage them, and help them experience your presence and call on their lives. Send your spirit upon them and help them to hear your voice as they go about their week. Amen. Over the last four weeks, we have dug into and torn apart common half-truths, things people say and believe, that are believed to be in the Bible, but really aren't. We have examined everything happens for a reason. God helps those who help themselves. God won't give you more than you can handle. And God said it, I believe it, that settles it. My hope is to challenge our use of these phrases in general but especially in tragic situations. I would rather they be replaced by scriptural truth, but I warn you against using the Bible to further your own opinions and agendas. What we say matters. Perhaps not as much as what we do, but when we fail to do and say the kind of things Christ did and said, we fail to be his disciples and his body, the church. Today we end with love the sinner, hate the sin. Today's half-truth, love the sinner, hate the sin, may be one of the most quoted of the five we have discussed. Again, it's generally well-meaning, but can lead us down negative paths and is generally bad theology and bad understanding of God, humanity, and sin. It's often paired with statements like, no sin is worse than any other. Again, this is a half-truth that creates more problems than opportunities for mission and ministry. Neither statement is in the Bible. Jesus never said, love the sinner, hate the sin. Jesus never said, no sin is worse than any other. A North African bishop and church leader in the 4th and 5th centuries, St. Augustine, may have helped coin the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. In a letter he wrote to nuns encouraging them to remain chaste, he calls them to have a love for mankind and a hatred for sin. Mahatma Gandhi actually quoted this half-truth, but it's taken out of context from his 1929 autobiography. Gandhi actually says, Hate the sin and not the sinner is a precept which, though easy enough to understand, is rarely practiced. And that is why the poison of hatred spreads in the world. I think this statement can be interpreted as Gandhi's observation that it is difficult to hate someone's sin while still loving them. But just because Jesus didn't say it doesn't mean it's not true or useful. Let's dig deeper by first examining what sin is and then discussing our half-truth in more detail. To understand this half-truth and where it falls short, we need to define and understand what sin is. There are several words in our English Bibles that we translate as sin. The most common are the Hebrew word shada and the Greek word hamashiach. The first means to stray from the path and the second is an archery term for missing the mark. I believe both words try to convey the idea that God has a path for us and a target or targets for us to work towards in our life. I hold that God, like any good parent, has the best intentions for us and wants the best for us. God seems to offer good things, partnerships, opportunities, purpose, and meaning for our lives. Often those things are laid out before us and sometimes we even recognize them. But sometimes we stray off the path. Sometimes we are aiming for the target, but we miss the mark. That definition of sin is not a list of do's and don'ts. It means sin can be almost anything for anyone. If that holds, we are all sinners. Because we have all missed the mark and all strayed from the path. Paul writes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. But are all sins created equal? Studying scripture and utilizing the tradition of the church and our own experience and reason, I think we can come to the conclusion that not all sins are created equal. If I go to Myers and eat a dozen Ben's soft pretzels, I am sinning. I do not think it's God's will for me to eat needlessly or eat anything in such excess, and we call that sin gluttony. If I make a habit of it, I will probably cut my own life short. If, on the other hand, I drink alcohol in excess and get behind the wheel of a car, I not only put myself in danger, but I endanger others who I share the road with. Are these sins the same? I would argue no. If I swear while watching the Bears game, something that's likely to happen this year, is it the same as if I am swearing false testimony in a court of law? If I cheat while playing a game with my friends, is it as bad as cheating on my spouse? Part of the confusion is Jesus' teaching found in the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter five through seven. Jesus reminds the people that the law states you shall not commit murder. But he adds, everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment, Matthew five, twenty one and twenty two. He does the same thing with adultery and lust. Is Jesus saying that lust and anger are equal to adultery and murder? No, I think Jesus is bringing to the surface that our thoughts and desires play an important part in our lives. And just because we haven't done something bad doesn't mean we aren't capable of it or even prone to it. In John, uh, 1 John chapter 5, we read this, If anyone sees a brother or sister committing a sin that does not result in death, they should pray. And God will give life to them, that is, to those who commit sins that don't result in death. There is a sin that results in death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. Even unrighteous action is sin. But there is a sin that does not result in death. Now that can be a confusing passage of scripture. But the Roman Catholic Church has developed a hierarchy of sins, and they do love their hierarchies, from this passage. There are venial sins, those that are less serious and maybe we're unaware of. Then there are mortal sins, sins that result in death, very serious sins which we knowingly commit. An example of a venial sin would be unknowingly investing in a company that uses child labor, whereas a mortal sin would be purposefully using child labor to cut costs. You may be familiar with the seven deadly sins, lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. Even among them, pride is the most dangerous, since it is held that all other sins are birthed from it. Now, hopefully that's enough background on sin for us to discuss our half-truth. So let's begin with the first half of our half-truth, love the sinner. Are we called to love sinners? Yes! Of course we're called to love sinners, Paul writes to Timothy. This saying is reliable and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. If, as discussed above, we are all sinners, then of course Jesus loves sinners because Jesus loves us all. The issue here is that Jesus didn't tell us to love sinners. Jesus commanded his disciples to love their neighbor. Those two statements may seem indistinguishable or interchangeable, but I believe there is an important difference. Jesus defined our neighbor as the people around us, but also people in our world who we don't know. So many people have come together to aid in our paper angel closet. You have donated items, money, your time, and talents to help make new connections and get the word out about our needs and the needs of our community. We have helped over 240 neighbors this year, but most of you have only met a few, if any, of them. These people are our actual neighbors. We are supporting missionaries in Indonesia who are helping neighbors across the globe. Now, we generally like to help our neighbors, especially those in need. But Jesus expanded the idea to cover our enemies. Jesus would teach, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, Matthew 5, 44. Jesus never says, love the sinner, however. Maybe he avoided the idea because it's redundant. Of course you should love sinners. You are a sinner. Your neighbor's a sinner. Your enemy's a sinner. But perhaps Jesus avoided this line of thought because it opens the door to something he taught a lot about, judgment. When I say love the sinner, I am defining a person, not a neighbor, by their sin, Jesus told a story to illustrate the potential issue. Two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, a religious leader. The other, a tax collector. Uh, tax collectors, known sinners in that time, marked as sinners in that time. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words, God, I thank you that I'm not like anyone else, crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to look towards heaven. Rather, he struck his chest and said, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low. All who make themselves low will be lifted up. That's Luke eighteen ten through fourteen. When we start seeing others as sinners, we start lifting ourselves above that status. In other words, love the sinner almost automatically begins a relationship by looking down on someone else. Jesus knew we would struggle with judgment, so he's pretty straightforward in his teaching about it. Don't judge. Don't judge so that you won't be judged. You'll receive the same judgment you give. Whatever you deal out will be dealt with you. Why do you see the splinter that's in your brother or sister's eye, but don't notice the log in your own? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the splinter out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You deceive yourself. Take the log out of your eye. Then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother or sister's eye. That's Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Pastor Adam poses, instead of saying love the sinner, Jesus might have said something like this. Love your neighbor. Despite the fact that you are a sinner, I know that despite the many ways I have strayed or missed the mark, God still loves me. Therefore, I should love others despite who they are or what they have done. That leaves us with hate the sin. Now, there were some issues with love the sinner. But there are even more issues with the second half of our half-truth, hate the sin. Jesus spent a lot of time with sinful people. People who really screwed up. People whose society called sinners. People who the religious folks called sinners. Yet never do we read Jesus saying, I love you, but I hate your sin. We read, your sins are forgiven. We read, go, sin no more. Jesus does seem to hate the sins of the religious leaders of the time, however. Jesus comes to the temple where people were being robbed and extorted, and he goes berserk. He throws over tables and runs the scam artist out. He rebukes the religious elite. In Matthew 23, we read seven woes to the religious elite, the religious leaders of the time. And Jesus calls them out. Here's one of them. How terrible Will it be for you, legal experts and Pharisees? Hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs. They look beautiful on the outside, but inside they are full of dead bones and all kinds of filth. In the same way, you may look righteous to people, but inside you are full of pretense and rebellion. Matthew 23, 27, and 28. A lot of their sin had to do with thinking themselves better than others. And we still struggle with that today. One of the major reasons people cite for not being part of the church is hypocrisy of Christians. Yes, that may be an excuse for some, but I think it is a valid point. It was a point that Jesus brought to light time and time again. How can you claim God loves me and then immediately attack who I am and what I have done? Am I claiming we should ignore sin or even encourage it? Not at all. We must work together to denounce and even work against sin in our world. Injustice, inequality, racism, sexism, hate against LGBTQ people, hunger, poverty, war. There is plenty of work to do in that area. I hate that there are children shooting, killing children. I hate that there are children without homes and without food and without someone to love them. But is that what we are talking about when we say love the sinner, hate the sin? Often when I hear love the sinner, hate the sin, it is in reference to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. I love you, but I think you and your relationship is evil and sinful, and I hate it, is often what is meant. Now, the issue of same-sex marriage and human sexuality and gender identity are divisive ones in our country and in our churches. Some people interpret Scripture to advocate for only one certain type of God-ordained relationship. Other people see God's will as more murky in this area and put those commandments more in their time and cultural context. I've spoken about my opinion on the matter and my interpretation of Scripture, and I think it's still growing and adapting, and God is still challenging me and speaking to me in these areas. But I hope we can all agree on this. Christ called us to love one another. Christ did not call us to convict others, judge others, or assess sin and withhold his blessing and good news. Christ called us to love. The Holy Spirit convicts, and God is the ultimate judge. The half-truth love the sinner, hate the sin, stops at love. There's nothing else to add to the equation. Love one another as Christ showed you love. Look past our differences and our disagreements and find that which God sees. Valued and beloved child. Valued and beloved children. And I believe God wants, so many of us with multiple children want, for his children to encourage, support, build up, and most of all, Love one another. This has been a recording of New Life Ministry. Learn more about us at www.findnewlifeumc.org and connect with us through our newsletter, Facebook, or on Twitter. If you liked what you heard on our podcast, you can like it on iTunes or Google Play. Please share it with your friends. Also consider supporting our Paper Angel Closet, which provides toiletries and personal care items to homeless and at-risk youth, foster families and children, the families of those diagnosed with cancer, refugee families and families in need in our community. Donate online or drop off items at New Life UMC, 8301 Mitchell Road, McChesney Park, Illinois, 61115. Worship is Saturday night at 5.30 p.m. Until next week, live knowing that you are beloved children of God in heaven. Challenge yourself to share that love with all those you meet wherever you go. And realize that with the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ's body of the church, you can make a difference in your community and the world. Amen.